Montana will inbound. He gets it over to the doctor. Tie ball game. Here's a shot, Julius. He scores! He scores! At the buzzer, and the Nets win. 120 to 118. I think we see Willis coming out. Here comes Willis. Carter, over to Kidd, baseline drive, Kidd throws it up, oh! How did he do it? Randall on the drive, stripped by Butler, Randall gets it back, Randall puts up a three, bang, bang, Randall knocks down the three, with seven tenths of a second remaining. With full court press coverage on all of the signings, trades, big games, and everything Knicks, Nets, and across the association, this is Pick and Pod on WFUV Sports. Welcome to this week's episode of Pick and Pod. I'm Will Jing. I'm here with Anthony Bartiromo. I'm here with Lauren Mondaruli. We got a lot to talk about today. Uh, I, I don't even know. There's so much. We got the Mavericks. We got the MVP race. We got both uh, home state teams, I guess we could call it. Uh, we got. We're talking about the Warriors. The Sixers, we're talking a lot of different stuff. Um, we're going to jump right into it because we got so much to talk about. I'm going to start off hot. We're going to talk about what happened between the Mavericks and the Warriors a few days ago. So for those of you who don't know, um, there was an incident in the third quarter where the Mavericks thought that they had the ball after an out-of-bounds call, but it actually was the Warriors' ball. They got ready on the opposite side of the court, ready to inbound. And the Warriors got an easy bucket from a baseline inbound right under the basket that they were shooting on. And the Warriors ended up winning by two. So the problem is that basket looks like it made a difference in that game. And now Mark Cuban and the Mavericks are sending a protest to the NBA being angry about this. And they're trying to get the loss taken back. I'm going to go over to you, Anthony, first. Uh, Any thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, this is simply inexcusable from the refs. Like, this is right before the playoffs. Both these teams are in the hunt. They're right around that play-in end, play-in edge, right at uh, the Warriors currently are the sixth seed and Mavericks currently the ninth seed. I mean, these teams can't afford to have these games lost out of their control. You know, players didn't do it. The, the refs ref originally said that it was the Mavs ball and didn't tell them that they switched it to the Warriors ball. This simply can't happen anymore. You know, it's 2023, and uh, it's really unexcusable. I agree completely. I've never seen anything like this. I don't think you guys have either. I've never even heard of this. How? I'm just so confused because the Warriors were clearly in like out of bounds, ready to receive the impasse ball. How did none of the five Mavericks on the court, none of the coaches, no one on the benches see this? How did no one like ex- like express the anger or like any sort of emotion? Say, hey, go back to the other other end of the court. They're gonna make the easy layup. Boom, you lose the game two points. Yeah, and I mean. A little bit of a correction there on what you say, Anthony. Actually, I watched it back. The ref right next to the play when it went out of bounds, he did initially say that it was Warriors ball. But the only problem is, I guess, that he ended up signaling, pointing to the Mavericks after they called the timeout, and that's what caused the confusion. And um, the other refs were confused, too. Obviously, there was a lot of confusion. Only the Warriors weren't confused, Interesting, interestingly enough. And, I mean, for me, just looking at this personally, I think that... 
Yeah, I mean, the the ref who who signaled that it was Warriors' ball right after the play, he did come out and say afterwards that he's, he made that call and, you know, they should have known about it. But at the same time, if you see that the Mavericks are all at the, under the end, other end of the court and you see that your fellow referees are also not knowing what is going on, then it's up to you to say something. And I think it's time that the NBA did something about this because I think that the officiating... Listen, I don't know if it's... I know definitely for the past, I would say, six at least seven years has been just trash, absolute trash. And maybe it's being brought more to the forefront now, you know, especially because a lot of things are circulating more online. But, I mean, whether it's, you know, been going on for a while and, you know, only in the last six, seven years it really surfaced or whether it's just a new thing, this is a problem that needs to be fixed. And Adam Silver needs to stop blaming the players and finding the players and letting the refs off of, the hook and being, you know, I'm not even gonna throw out adjectives right now. <laughs> yeah. So this is a PG show, guys. Yeah, no, I mean, how many times have we seen this over the past few years where, you know, a game comes to an end on some questionable calls, you know, maybe one team gets the benefit of the calls, and then you hear a report coming out about like a day or two later saying that the, after an official review, the refs missed like five, ten calls at the end of the fourth quarter or something. I mean, the NBA doesn't do anything to to stop this they don't they don't um discipline their refs they don't make them pay for what they did and you can see what's happening now in the middle of a uh in the middle of the run right before the playoffs it's funny enough you guys mentioned fines because i just saw an article in the studio like 10 minutes ago luka Doncic was fined thirty-five thousand dollars for doing like the money signal with yes. his hands to the refs with 1.7 seconds left in the game all wow. because he was upset about um the calls not being called on during the game this call being one of them but there are so many other ones yeah, I mean, and I mean, I, I'm gonna ask you guys in a second what you guys think the NBA should do about this, but I, I'll throw out this prediction right now. I don't think Adam Silver is gonna do anything. No, I don't every, think so either. Every not. single major sports league commissioner is an absolute garbage human being. Yes, you heard me, a garbage human being, including Adam Silver. He just wants his money, and if there's, if if you want any kind of, you know, other signs that this is the case. He's suggesting another in-season tournament just for his, his, just so he can put more money in his pocket. He loves the idea of the play-in tournament. Why? Because it puts more money in his pocket. It doesn't matter to him what is going on with the players. It does, as long as it makes him more money, he's good with it. Okay, and it doesn't matter if it's more games and the players are going down, players are getting hurt. It doesn't matter if it hurts the just the overall quality of of what basketball has been for so many years. He just needs the money in his pocket. And I think that he's just too lazy. He's not going to do anything about this and let us slide just like he does every time because, you know what, maybe finding the referees and going to talk to them and replacing them actually takes some work. Whereas, you know what I mean, just find the players and, you know, scapegoat the players. Yeah, I mean, I think we see that trend happening a lot in sports where, you know, there's a there's some controversy in the news. Players are in the news, uh, refs are in the news, and they just blame the players. Like, this has been going on for so long. Now, I don't agree entirely with about Adam Silver being, you know, a garbage human being, as you put it. I feel like he's one of the better ones, one of the better commissioners in the game, in the in the world today, I guess. But still, there really does need to be something to be, there really, it has, something really needs to be done, excuse me, about, uh, about these refs and just not, just slam off the hook after this. By no means is Silver a good, good commissioner, but like you said, he is, not the worst of the worst. He's not yeah. good. I'll he's not good. I'm not going to give him a good. Yeah. Like, yeah, I'm not going to give him a good adjective. But he's not 
the absolute worst. But I don't see anything coming about this with the refs. I just see the players continuing to be fine, being like blamed upon, and the refs just continuing to do their jobs as awfully as they're doing. All right, so Anthony Lauren, I'm going to circle back to the question I originally asked, um, that I said I would ask, I guess I should say. If you guys were in Adam Silver's shoes, what would you do about this? I would have to find the refs. Uh, I'd have to do it sort of, uh, you know, give them a base level, and then for every uh, next miscall, every next, like, something like this happening, every next, like, controversy, you got to increase the fine and sort of just persuade them to really just be on top of their game, you know, make sure something like this can't happen. Because, you know, when you're a ref, your job isn't just, like, calling fouls and reporting them. You have to make sure all the players, all the other refs, know what's going on on the floor at all times. And that's something that they didn't do last night. They failed at that. I probably would also find them. I would also, like, the time of the season it is, you can't be making these mistakes. Playoffs are in, what, two weeks? There's only, like, nine games left for most of these teams. I probably wouldn't allow them to ref a postseason game. Like, you cannot like be that. making these mistakes in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, personally, I, I would add something to, to the fine. I would say the fine definitely should, like you said, Anthony, be implemented. And where if you do it at a crucial time or if you do it over and over again, it should increase. So, like, yeah. for example, maybe, like, the first the first call you make, say it's, like, not an important one, maybe you get fined 10000 but. You make a you make you know a bad call in a really important game, it's thirty thousand. Say you make two important important bad calls now now it's sixty. And I think eventually there the thing that I wanted to add on is there needs to be a limit where after a certain point, yes, you, you, like after a certain point you shouldn't be able to ref ref you know important games a postseason game especially. But I think there's a certain limit where it's just like no nah, you got to go. There like yeah. Yeah. You, there's been refs that have just stuck around just because they're tenured for years and years and years. You know, over and over, uh, making bad calls. I'm blanking on the name of the referee right now, but there is one referee that I think Chris Paul has never won a playoff game or playoff <laughs> series against. I know I you're talking yeah. about, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, things like that. Like, it's just like, it sticks out a little bit. Like, something's not right about that. But um, that does it for that segment, I guess. Uh, we're going to switch over to the other conference. We're going to go over to... I guess a less spicier topic. We're going to talk about the Brooklyn Nets. Although I shouldn't say it's completely without its spice because um, Ben Simmons is still gone. It doesn't look like he's going to return this season. I don't know, honestly, if he's going to even make an impact when he does come back because nope. he just hasn't been around for so long. And he had that one decent, like, I shouldn't even say decent. It was a pretty good season with the Sixers. And you know, I think he they had uh they had you know Tobias Harris, Joel Embiid. They were doing pretty well that uh that season. They obviously didn't make it too far, but Ben Simmons was doing pretty good for himself. And then after that, he had you know the whole thing where he decided not to shoot into the playoffs, and just it, it, from there it was just completely downhill. And now he's just it, it's like we don't even know he could disappear right now, and nobody would even notice. Yeah, I mean, it's really crazy to say. First overall pick, three-time All-Star, Rookie of the Year, All-NBA player, and now he's just not even averaging seven points a game. Bad efficiency, you know, six rebounds, six assists. He's always been able to do that. But even those are down from his career norms, I guess you could say. Um, I think this is the end of the line for Ben Simmons. Maybe he's going overseas after this, but he just doesn't look like he wants to play. You know, he kind of just reminds me of just a spoiled brat kid. He doesn't he doesn't want to do anything. He just wants to get his money and then just sit on the bench wearing ridiculous fits. So I don't think he's going to be playing for the rest of the season. 
if the Nets make it into the playoffs, which that's that we'll get into that. But I don't think he's going to be there. He might just be on the bench, just wearing horrible outfits. So I also don't think he's going to be playing. Coach has said that he hasn't started practicing yet with the starters or the second unit. I don't even know what he's doing on his own, if he's doing anything on his own, because he's limited to individual work. So who's watching him compete, complete this individual work? That wasn't said in an article. He's missed 15 straight games, and that he's been out since February 15th. He also just like hasn't played with this quote-unquote new team. Mm. The last He played three games since Kevin Durant's trade to the Suns, so that was a long time ago. And even if he does come back for the playoffs, if the Nets make it, there's not going to be enough time to like learn how to be a team with these new players. There's only nine games left in the regular season. Yeah, yeah it's also not enough time to get back into the flow and get back exactly. his timing, his shooting, everything. Or shooting, what am I saying? But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, the Nets are on an absolute uh, just free fall, basically. They've lost... Their last five games, they won the two games before that, but they were by two points over the Nuggets and one point over the Timberwolves. And before that, they lost, you know, to the Bucks, the Rockets, and before that, you know, the only impressive win they've had. I mean, I, this is since since March actually, since the beginning of March. So right now it's March twenty fourth. Since March first, their only impressive win I would say is when they beat the Celtics by ten, and that's it. I mean, they beat the Hornets by sixteen, but I mean. The Hornets. That's the Hornets. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's the it's the Hornets. And honestly, I I'm gonna shift over into a little bit of play in talk. I don't even know if this team's gonna make the play in. I I wouldn't go that far. Um they are in the number seven spot. They're only a game and a half behind Miami. They're going down to Miami this tomorrow, actually. I don't see them winning against Miami, but I don't see them losing every single game t- until the end of the season. So I I think the play-in could be a possibility for them, but I I don't see them going far in the play-in at all. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you there. This is not a playoff team. That I would say they're a play-in team. You know, seven uh, how many games? Seven, nine games left. Mm-hmm. Uh, they got some tough competition. I'm not gonna lie. Like they'd be playing the Timberwolves, who are a decent team, Sixers, Heat, Hawks. That's some decent competition there. And I mean. This is a fun team. I do like this new team post KD, post KD and Kyrie, but they're just not that good. Like they're not. They you need a star. You need a star in the NBA today to be decent, and they don't have one. So I think that they're right about nine, ten seed ish. You know, back of the play in, but even still, can they even beat a team like the Hawks in a play in game? There's no guarantee there. So honestly, I just don't see. I don't see much for the Nets right now. Yeah, um, I mean, Mikael Bridges is their best player, but I think that he has a long way to go before he's, you know, that star that you were talking about. Because even I actually be reported for their um, their game Tuesday against the Cavs, and Mikael Bridges didn't even get twenty. And you know, nor I mean, I guess for somebody like Mikael Bridges, it's not it's not that bad of a thing. But if the Nets are looking to make, you know, some kind of impact in the playoffs, I mean, Mikael Bridges is gonna have to. Uh, you know, start averaging Joel Embiid numbers or something like that. Yeah, but that's the thing. I don't think the Nets are trying to make a big impact in the playoffs this year. You know, they just traded away two of their their stars, you know, three of them if you count Harden last year. But still, this is a team that's just, this is a lost season for them. And I think that's what the coaching staff, the organization is, that's, that's what their mindset is right now. I think the same thing. I saw that Mikkel Bridgers is their new it guy. Like, yeah. they traded Katie and they got him from the Suns. 
And last night, he got the game-high 32 points, but he did turn the ball over in the fourth quarter, which kind of downspiraled their heartbreaking of a loss. But he's not their it guy. They need, like, like you said, this is a rebuilding season. This is a lost season, and they need to figure out how to rebuild their team to be the New York Nets again. But how do you do that with just Mikhail Bridges? You can't really. Mikhail Bridges is not a one guy, is not a first number one option kind of guy. I don't think he'll ever be that guy in his career. I hate to say it because I'm a big Mikhail Bridges fan. I think he's a great player. He's an incredibly valuable player. Three and D guys. You always need guys like that. But he's not a one. He's not a one option. He's a great team. He's a great player for a team like the Suns. You know, as a two or a three option, that's his role, and he fits it perfectly. But he just can't be that number one guy on the Nets. I mean, I will say he's young still. True. Yeah. So I don't know if I would count out him ever being number one guy, but it's going to take a few years. Yeah. Definitely. Right now on a you know on a championship contender team, he would be as you said the number two or three option because right now the only re- part of the reason why he's scoring so much is because his team is the Brooklyn Nets, the KD and Kyrie less Brooklyn Nets, yeah. where the second best player is Spencer Dinwiddie, Cam yes. Thomas, yeah. Spencer Dinwiddie, I guess, and you know Spencer Dinwiddie's been like. What just like a decent role player? He's point a role guard. player. Yeah, yeah exactly. His whole career. And, you know, I I don't really see. I mean, at the same time, yeah, it's impressive to score you know thirty points and things like that. But if you're on the Brooklyn Nets, like I mean, it, who's gonna get the ball the most? It's gonna be Mikael Bridges, undoubtedly. Yeah. But enough with you know the Nets. I'm kind of done talking about them. They're <laughs> they're, they're depressing. Gonna, they're basically irrelevant at this point. We're gonna go cross town to the New York Knicks who are in a little bit of trouble themselves. They are on a three-game losing streak. They currently do hold the five seed, but now they're having issues with Julius Randle and his temper. Now, Julius Randle has shown, I've at least in my opinion, flashes of this in the past, but I mean, now I think it's really getting attention after what happened last night where he got into a dispute with the refs and then completely lost it at Manuel quickly. Um, do you guys think this is going to be a problem for the Knicks going forward? I'm not sure about this year per se. It's uh, we always knew that Randall was, you know, an emotional guy. He lets his emotions get the best of him sometimes, and we haven't really seen that too much recently, up until like this past week or so. But I think that he's acknowledged it. He's definitely he said in interviews that you know I know that my emotions get to me sometimes, and it's something I have to work on. And he's shown improvement on that. This is, I wouldn't say this is a huge deal because. I think that the Knicks are in a good spot. You know, right now they have a playoff spot pretty much locked up, you know, not officially. But I think that this is definitely a little scary if you're a Knicks fan, just because you know it's still there. You know it's not completely gone. But right now I think that the Knicks are in a very good spot and that as long as he can keep that under 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 condition and just Knicks and stay consistent, I think their their future is very bright. So I am a Knicks fan, so I am very scared actually. Because Julius Randle, he's our only all-star. He's supposed to be the guy that you look up to. Like, all the young people on the team are supposed to look up to him. If you're getting three technicals in back-to-back-to-back games, that's not really a great role model. And ever since, like, he got his first technical Monday night, he had his career-high 57-point game against Minnesota, and then the next game he only scored 15 points against Miami, receiving another technical that night. And then last night he scored 25 points, no, that was quickly. Sorry. He scored somewhere in the 20s with points, but then he got his another te- technical and then got in his altercation with quickly, which Josh Hart had to come in and help, you know, break the two of them up so they wouldn't, like, kill each other. It's 
and also to say, they also lost the past three games. The three games that Randall yeah. got his three technicals in. I'm not saying like he, they've lost every single game that he's gotten in the technical, because he has now gotten 11 technicals. And they definitely didn't lose all 11 of those games. But it's a pattern that's been repeating itself, and it's not a good timing in the season. I mean, I just think that with the Knicks in the position they are right now, it's not the biggest deal, but if you're thinking about the future and how you want to build around this young core, like you said, it's not exactly the type of culture you want to foster with your with your top player, arguably, you know, getting technicals and getting into fights with the team. And there is a point where, you know, you know, as we've seen with other guys like, like a Kobe and like a Jordan where they're pushing their teammates and that's why they're losing their cool. But, you know, this is a completely different story where it's not about him pushing his teammates and that's why he's losing his cool he's just losing his cool after arguing with a ref most likely because quickly was trying to get him to move away from the ref so not only does it not do well for team chemistry but if you look to your future two years down the line and you do want to make a little bit deeper of a playoff run are you going to look to the same guy as your leader it's really a tough question um i've always been a julius randall hater you know, I uh, he shut me up this year. I will say I've been a huge fan of him this year, but I never really saw Julius Randle as that guy, the number one guy on a championship team. Now, this year definitely does discredit me and definitely does you know prove me wrong a little bit. Uh, I'm not saying the Knicks are champions. This is about. I think that with that kind of character, because Julius Randle's character has always been. A little bit in question especially last year after like you know we did the thumbs down and all that but i would say that julius randall can't really be the number one guy on a championship team i think that well the knicks are uh building around him for the future it does concern me just a little bit to have randall as your uh you know your core guy i agree with that completely i think I think it's important that athletes show their emotions when they're playing their game to make sure like the fans and like the people who like not fans as well, like everyone watching the game knows that they're in it for the game itself and not just the money. And I think that's an important factor. It shows that the players are in the game. They're in it to win it. But you just you can't just be going around being upset that you got contacted in a contact sport. Yeah. And you can't be upset that a ref misses a call every mm-hmm. once in a while. And you can't throw the ball after you drop a rebound. Like these are just inexcusable acts, and I don't think I don't think that's a number one kind of guy in a championship game. Yeah, I mean, if this was somebody that was drafted, you know, two three years ago, I could see that. Okay, maybe this guy could develop, but and it's not only that he's yeah he knows how to put up you know a crazy game sometimes, but when you watch him, he's not like really a go to guy on a top team, and he was drafted in 2014. So, and it's weird because like. I remember just watching him get drafted. So, like, it, for me, it also doesn't seem like too long ago. But when I look it up and I see the, the, the numbers 2014, I'm like, okay, so th- it has been a minute since you've mm-hmm. been in the league. And you're kind of still hovering as, like, you know, this th- this same type of player over the past few years. Nothing – I mean, I feel like this is kind of him coming back to what he was a few years ago, you know, that year when the, the Knicks got bounced by the Hawks in the first round. So. Yeah. From there, he hasn't really improved. And had he kept the trajectory from that year, we might be telling a different story. But, I mean, as as of right now, how it looks and where, where he's kind of projected to go, I guess, based on how he's been performing, I don't see him being more than, honestly, a number three option. Because even a number two option, like, 
unless your number your number one guy is LeBron James, which I mean we can we can we can talk about that then. Unless your number one guy is LeBron James, and you somehow put some put put him in the fountain of youth or something, then I'm not really sure how how well Randall's gonna pan out even as a number two guy. But we are coming down the, to the final stretch of the season, and we are talking. We have mentioned playoffs a few times. So I want to kind of shift gears towards, you know, us wrapping up the season, I guess, and kind of making some predictions for how things are going to pan out. But before we do that, I did mention the play-in earlier. I do want to ask you guys, do you like the idea of the play-in in general? I, it's definitely grown on me. If you asked me this last year, I would have said, no, I just I don't like it at all. But it has grown on me, and I think it's very important for a time like this in the West. Because you look at the West right now, it's, I mean, it's so packed. Like, everyone in the West is just so close besides, like, the top three seeds and then the bottom, like, four. Let me give you a stat right here. The difference between the four-seed Suns and the 12 seeds Pelicans is only three games. That's wild to think about. So I think that having the play-in for a season like this is pretty important because you look at a team like the Lakers, 36 and 37, the Mavs, 36 and 37, having a chance to really to get to compete and uh, get into a team when they're only like get into the playoffs when they're only like a game or two back from the five or the six seed. I think that's important. I think that's something you need to have in the NBA right now. I think it's important for that um, situation within the West, but I personally hate the play-in tournament. The playoffs are supposed to be like competitive and motivational season. There's only 15 teams in each conference. If the top 10 are able to make it to the postseason, whether it's the plan or actual playoffs, that's kind of like defeats kind of the purpose, like trying to make the number six seed and above. And it's still competitive, but the plan just kind of feels like an extension of the regular season, in my opinion, because it's single elimination. And like the playoff, it's not the playoff feels. The home court advantage exists for the postseason series, but both teams still get to play at their home stadiums and home courts. In the plan, you get one team, and like if you're having an off night or if the fans are like really, really loud, which they're going to be in the play-in, you're going to have an off night if you're the away team. And then, boom, there goes the entire season that you worked so hard for. I think the NBA season is already so incredibly long, but maybe like a three-game series for each play-in for the bracket, because then it'll feel like more like the playoffs, and then like you know once the two seeds that like continue on in the playoffs, they have like a better field. It's like, not like a like a slow move in towards it, but it's just like something more exciting. I mean, for me, I am actually so much not a fan of the playing tournament that I would abolish the thing altogether. <laughs> I will say this. It's a cool idea on its own. Yes. It's a very cool idea on its own. But it just, I don't know. I, I don't like it within the context of the NBA playoffs. Like, I feel like the playoffs the way it was is absolutely fine. Just, you know, the top eight, and like you said, I don't think that there's a need to give 10 out of 15 teams, you know, a chance to to make the playoffs. You finish in the top half of your conference, basically. I mean, I guess plus one because there's eight out of 15. And then you just kind of go right into it. And, you know, there's a, you know, there's a chance for, you know, the eight seats upset the one seed. And I think that that's good enough. We don't need all this extra stuff. I mean... It, Listen, if at, the, if at the inception of the NBA, they decided that, you know, we're, we're going to make this thing where we're going to reseed, you know, one through four or five through eight or something like that through this method. And, and it's been going on for years. Maybe I'd be for it. But I feel like 
at this point to just introduce this, we're just Adam Silver is just trying to you know add something new to something's not that's not broken. And I, like, I think this is definitely a situation, at least for me, where I look at it and just like, if it's not broken, why are you trying to fix it? Because I think it's it's fine and it also provides that kind of end of season like, hey, who's gonna get that eighth seed rather than like. You know what? Like whatever, seven through ten, and then you know it's up for grabs. I just don't. But that's the thing. It's a playoff. It's a one game playoff series, though, or two games if you make it. But still, that's the thing. I think it adds a level of excitement that wasn't there before, because even still, you look at last year when the Pelicans they took two games from the one seed Suns in the first round. I think that you know these sneaky teams. Sometimes you get a young team in here who comes in, not a lot of playoff experience. They come in, they take a couple games from the first seed. It's a little bit exciting. It gives sort of like a uh, like a March Madness kind of feel to it. And I think I do see the point about it being like, you know, kind of dragged out and kind of forced upon. But that's the thing. In the NBA in the NBA right now, there's so much talent. There's so many guys who could just drop 50 on any given night. I think it adds that kind of that kind of level of suspense and excitement that, you know, wasn't there before at least early in the NBA playoffs because the NBA playoffs are are already very long. You know, 2 months of straight just seven game series i think that adding this at the beginning of the playoffs adds a little bit of excitement that you know wasn't there before i'm not saying it's not exciting i just liked how it was before so like i just like you know what i mean the first the first day of the playoffs you see the slate you know it's whatever one seed versus eight seed from one side and then four or five from the other you know however they want to arrange it's usually four games on the first night of the playoffs that's just like i just feel like the nba is just kind of like it was I don't know. I'm kind of a fan of like when I first started becoming a fan of basketball. That's just me and just like how it was set up. And I just feel like the more it, you know, changes away from that, the more it's just like, you know, eh, it's just like uh, it, it becomes less special, I guess. that That's yeah. just my take. But I mean, we're going to talk more about the playing tournament right now in a different light. I want uh, to hear you guys' predictions for who's making the play in and who's missing the play in for this year. So, um, why don't we start with the Eastern Conference, and then we'll go to the West. We'll start with you, Anthony. We'll go to Lauren, and then we'll come back to me. Yeah, so right now, the play-in tournament is the Nets as a 7th seed, Hawks as the 8th seed, Raptors at the nine seed, and Bulls at the 10th seed. Right now, I think I see the Nets going down in the rankings to that 9 seed, I would say. I'd say 9 seed, yeah, because they have some tough competition going uh, come upcoming, as I said. I think that the Hawks figure it out a little bit right before the end of the season. I say they're going to be the seventh seed. Um, this is tough. I think the Raptors are always such a wild card in the NBA right now. Oh, yeah. You can't, mm-hmm. can't count them out. I think that the Raptors are going to get that eighth seed. And then for the tenth seed, I have no confidence in the Chicago Bulls at all. Give me the Pacers. Wow, okay. So I actually have Miami Heat going back down to number seven. I Ooh, think, Wow. I don't know, I feel like they've been a little too hot recently. They're definitely going to slip up towards the end of the season. I respect that. And then I have the Hawks staying in eight, the Raptors staying in nine. And then same with the Bulls. What What's going on with them? I put the Pacers up a 10 too. I'm looking at all the teams right now in the play and their schedule. And the funny thing is the Nets have the – are the only one with a mildly easy one. The other ten, uh, the other three teams, I'll, I'll read them off to you. The Hawks, they're going to go up against the Grizzlies. Oh. They're facing the Cavs, the Mavericks. They're facing the Sixers and the Celtics in their remaining games. That's a tough the competition. Bulls, tough. They face 
the Lakers twice. That might be doable. They also face the Grizzlies, the Bucks, and the Mavericks, and the Clippers. Wow. For the Raptors, and this might be the toughest one, they face the Heat, the Sixers, and the Celtics twice, and the Bucks. Wow. They face the Celtics in a back-to-back with one day in between at the beginning of April. So I do think the Nets will stay in just because of the fact that their schedule is easier compared to the others. But I expect them to fall a little bit. I think the Hawks will take the the seventh seed. I think that above the play in the Heat and the Knicks will swap places. Um, I'm going to say that I think the the Raptors will take the eight seed. Nets fall to nine. I think that's what you had too, Anthony, right? Yeah, yeah. And then, ooh, do the Bulls stay in it? I don't know. The Bulls, Bulls are such a weird team right now. Yeah, the oh, man. Jeez, this is... I mean, it's really just a toss-up, honestly. Um, I mean, you have the Wizards, too, that could sneak in at the 12th seed right now. I mean, but the Wizards are just Bradley Beal. I mean, the Bulls are right now only Zach Levine <laughs> and DeMar DeRozan. Yeah, I, it's two, it's one than one, so... <laughs> I, I'm going to say that the... I'm going to say the Bulls stick it out with the 10th seed. The Bulls are, are, are a weird team. I mean, Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan, they're good players, but, like... Sometimes they just show flashes like, oh, my God, this team could be good. Like, I think at one point they were like four or five or something like that. Yeah, I mean, they came into last year with so much hype around them. Yeah, and and then just... They just fizzled out. Yeah, DeMar DeRozan was like, at one point, like, oh, my God, he's top five in the MVP ladder and just... Well, DeMar DeRozan, didn't he start in the All-Star game last year? Like, he had a crazy year last year. He might have. I don't remember that. I know we went went absolutely off last year, but this year is not that much. All right, so um, we have our predictions for the East, and now shifting over to the other side where it's a lot closer. It's a lot spicier. So, Anthony, what do you have? Oh, my God. This is just – the West is just so wild right now. So, right now, we have the Timberwolves as a 7 seed, Mavs at 8, Lakers at 9, and Pelicans at 10. This is tough. Zion's probably out for the rest of the year, or until the playoffs, I mean. So, I – I find it hard to rank the Pelicans very high. Um, I think that the Mavs are going to go up to the seventh seed. I think that, you know, Luka simply won't allow his team to just, like, go any further down the hole. Um, I think the Timberwolves will go to the eight, so the Mavs and Timberwolves slip, swap places. Timberwolves still have a solid, a solid team. I think I've been – I like the Timberwolves. But um, I think the Lakers are going to stay where they are at the nine seed. I think that – they're a team to watch out for, you know. Obviously, they have that guy LeBron James, <laughs> um, so they're gonna be they're gonna be interesting to watch. I don't think they're gonna miss the play in two he's years. He's pretty good, right? I've heard of him. He's a little bit, he, you know. He's he's kind of here and there. Um, and then for my ten seed, this is tough because you have the Pelicans, Thunder, Jazz, who are just the Jazz, and then the Trailblazers could even sneak in, but I don't see that happening. I'm gonna go with Thunder at this ten seed. I think that Shy is gonna go off in the playoff in the play in. I think that they're gonna get into the playoffs as the ten seed. Um and I think that young core is finally gonna get gonna get some experience and some recognition. So I have the Mavericks also at seven. Luke is not gonna allow anything else. Yeah. I actually have the Lakers moving up to eight because LeBron is making progress. He may be coming back for the last week of the season, which is so exciting. I 
like I said, I am a Knicks fan, so I have a little, like, oh, what's the word? Like, I'm a little biased, and I'm not biased, because I want the Knicks to win, but I love LeBron, because who doesn't love LeBron? A lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> a lot yeah. of people. That is a very good point. But then I have the Timberwolves at 9 and the Pelicans at 10, mostly because Ooh. there's just no wiggle room anywhere in the West. So, oh, yeah. Like, the teams could win, but that forcefully puts any team towards the bottom again. Like, no matter how much hard you try to win, another team could win and just push you out, you know? Yeah. Oh, I was, <laughs> I, I was just so – I was listening so close to you guys that I forgot about my own. Um, I am going to go with Dallas moving up to the 7 as well, just like you, Anthony. Um, I just think that with Luka and Kyrie, that, that's a good – They haven't been playing well together. Huh? The thing is, they haven't been playing well together. I'm pretty sure they have a losing record when both of them play. Yeah, but I feel like they're gonna get it together. Yeah. Like that's they're gonna just, figure like, it out. Uh, Luca, Luca's you know definitely a future MVP. He was drafted what like four years ago or something. He's got a lot of time to get you know he's just yeah. he's putting up thirty points a game. So I think that I think that you know that he'll find some way to push them up to the seventh seed. Um, I think that. Ooh, okay. I think that the Pelicans they have a t- really tough schedule entering the last few games. They ca- they have the Clippers, they have the Warriors, the Clip. Uh, they have the. I skip the Trailblazers because they're about they're the Trailblazers. Um, I'm just naming the good teams. Um, <laughs> they got the Nuggets, the Clippers again, and then the Kings and the Grizzlies. So, and then the the, the Wolves to finish off the season. So, I think that they're going to be dropping a lot of those games. Yeah. So, no Zion is definitely going to hurt them. Huh? No Zion is definitely going to hurt yeah. them. Oh yes, exactly. So, I do see them dropping out. I, if the Trailblazers were closer, I'd be like, you know, Dame time. He'll get them in, but. Uh, it's they just know. have no one around them too now. It, it's, it's sad. Yeah, it's very very sad. Um, I don't so I don't see the Blazers sneaking in. Um, so I will take OKC at the at the ten. Um, and between the Lakers and the Wolves, that that that's <laughs> a little bit of a toss up. They do have a matchup later on the season, but uh, I think that I'm gonna go with the Lakers just because they want a chip. LeBron's coming back. They still have Anthony Davis. They have you know D'Lo. They have they had these other pieces, so I do think that um, the Lakers will move up. So I guess my final th- uh, play-in tournament seeding will be Dallas at the 7, LA at the 8, Minnesota at the 9, and we'll take OKC at the 10. And so we're going to wrap the show with one more small segment. And again, we're leading to the end of the season. We're going to talk about the MVP race. So there's, I mean, there's a lot of good players. At the beginning of the season, everyone was like, I mean, not maybe not everyone, but the betting odds were just Luca, Luca, Luca. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So, but I mean, it's a little bit of a toss up right now. There's a lot of good players, but one player in particular, Joel Embiid, has pulled ahead a little bit because he's had a really, really impressive past, you know, uh, stretch of games, and so now it really comes down to uh, him, Nikola Jokic, Giannis with a long last name, uh, <laughs> Jason Tatum. And the aforementioned Luka Doncic. And, I mean, for me, I think that, listen, I thought I thought it was going to be Luka too at the beginning of the season. But Joel Embiid has been just incredible. I mean, in the last 10 games, they're averaging 34 points, uh, 9.4 rebounds, almost 5 assists, 2.5 blocks, a steal on 61.6% field goal percentage. And forty point seven three point percentage, and that is really impressive for a big 
Last yeah. night he scored 34. Um, oh wait, not not last night. Uh, this is against Golden State, uh, who they're playing tonight. Um, his career average is 34 points on almost 48 percent shooting with a 66 percent three point percentage. 66 wow. is wild. That that's my take personally. Oh, that's this season. I'm sorry, that, that's not his career. That's this season against the Warriors. But that's still a, a really, really incredible number, and that's who I have personally um, taking the MVP this year. Um, I'm gonna go to go to you, Anthony, and then we'll go to Lauren. Uh, yeah, MVP so. picks. So Joel Embiid is the favorite right now. He's got a minus one seventy on uh, Fanduel, but my thing is that Nikola Jokic. We've become so numb to what this guy is able to do on a daily Very basis. Mm-hmm. With so many like, of these guys, honestly. Yeah, honestly. I mean, they're insane. Luca, what Luca's been able to do, and that no one really cares. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> just cause, just because they're not they're not a top seed, but yeah. But that's the thing. The Nuggets are the one seed in the NBA somehow. I'm Mickey, but um, anyways, Nikola Jokic is averaging twenty five, twelve, and nine point nine for the first place Nuggets. I don't think we understand how wild that is for a center in the game today. He's also doing this on 64 field goal percentage and 40% from three. He leads the league in player efficiency rating at 35.9. It's just hard to take Embiid over this. Embiid is having an amazing year, leading the league in scoring with 33 points a game. But I think that you take Nikola Jokic away from the Nuggets, they're a lottery team. Like, they don't have much of a team. Jamal Murray's been good. Michael Porter Jr. is like, you know, he's always injured, but he's all right. Um, I think that my pick is Nikola Jokic for the MVP simply because he's o- he's almost averaging a triple-double as a center on ridiculous field goal, on ridic- ridiculous efficiency. You know, when Westbrook did that in, like, 17, 18, he was doing that shooting, like, 40% from the line, 40, 40% from the field, excuse me. Jokic is shooting 60% from the field. So I think that combined with how good the Nuggets have been this year, he's my pick. I also have him as my pick, funny enough. I as much as I love watching Joel Embiid play, it's so much fun watching like him being this amazing player on the court. But Nikola Jocic, he's leading the lead lead whoa, tongue twister, yeah. leading the league in triple doubles. He has twenty eight of them this season, which is sixteen more than the next highest total. And he's also been the MVP for the last two seasons. So yeah. he knows what it takes. He understands how much of an honor this is. And I don't think he's going to give that up easily. And he obviously has not this season. No, not at all. Yeah. I mean, for me, though, if you're going to take Jokic, then, you know, with the argument that if you take him away from the Nuggets, they're a lottery team. The Bucks are currently number one in the East. Well, what happened if you took Giannis away from the Bucks? So would you make the same argument for Giannis? Because Giannis is averaging a career-high 31.2 points per game and almost 12 rebounds and 5.5 assists. That's the thing. I think if you take Giannis away from that team, they're a playing team. They're not going to be as bad as... Their their supporting cast for Giannis, it's not as bad as the Nuggets supporting cast for Jokic. I think that you take Giannis away from the Bucks, they're a playing team. Take Jokic away from the Nuggets, they're a lottery team. I think that's a fair assumption. Giannis really can hold the team together, but the Bucks are a good team without Giannis. Yeah. But the Nuggets, they only have Jokic, you know? Like, they are number one, but I just I can't see them performing as well as they are without him. Jamal Murray has entered the chat. <laughs> Jamal Murray's solid, but he's not, he's he's not, not like these other he's guys. He's not Nikola Jokic. Yeah. Honestly, 
I mean, I see your point, but I still feel like the Bucks would slide even out of the play-in. Um, I, I mean, for me, the the main argument for Joel Embiid is just that I think that he's just so dominant. He's like he's got Shaq type level dominance in like this new league. I mean, Nik- Nikola Jokic. I'm not. Don't get me. Go. Don't get it twisted. He's really, really good. I mean. The only thing that you know he has, I think that's worse than jo- Joel Embiid, notably uh, in terms of statistics, is his points per game, which is twenty four point eight right now. But I mean, I just think that for me, just watching Joel Embiid, it's just like he just kind of scores at will a lot of times, and I don't think that we've we've seen you know anything like that. I mean, I think even compared to compared to Giannis, like when I think when Embiid is on his game, I think he's more unstoppable than Jokic. I think he's Honestly, more unstoppable than Giannis. Just their their play style. I think that you know Giannis obviously does have a weakness in his shooting, uh, but I think Embiid is just like you know he's he's a center. He doesn't need it as much, and he's arguably still a better shooter than Giannis. So I mean, to me that 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 that's the key, and you know not to, not to uh, forget about the other two, Jason Tatum and Luka Doncic, and the MVP race. They're very very good, but I just feel like. Like like you said, Anthony, we just take a lot of these player for, players for granted at this point, and it's not even like we kind of expect it. And it's like, oh, Luca's you know dropping thirty plus a game. We've seen this for three years. Like, yeah, like yeah, we're exactly. we're well aware to Luca averaging twenty eight, 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 eight. Like it's just crazy how how numb we've become to it. Yeah, know? and I feel like like I feel like we're almost kind of not just letting it be and just being like, all right, that that's kind of normal, unless it's like. Like someone who's already an established all-time great player, you know, we keep a little bit of a closer eye on them, like LeBron and KD, who have been at the top for so many years. But for you know, some of these guys, you know, a lot of these guys are newer to the MVP discussion, and so that makes it like a little bit like, but like we've seen them dominate for a, year, a few years. So those two combined just make it like, eh, like we we see them, but we we're we're used to it and we don't really notice it too much. Yeah, definitely, it's. It's a crazy, it's a crazy time in the NBA. The talent is at an all-time high. I don't know if we've ever seen players as talented as this who are able to just put up these crazy stats like it's nothing. It's just so much fun to watch this season because like everyone's so talented, and I think a good example to like counter this is Anthony Davis because like he's newer and he has this insane way to just you know beat every single team that the Lakers play, which is really annoying when you're not a Lakers fan, but. We're not numb to him, like we're numb to Giannis, you know. Yeah. So it's like we still get that new feeling, but we're not. We're like looking past these great players that we have in front of us for all these years. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you guys for listening tonight. Uh, this was Pick and Pod. I'm Will Jing. I was here with Anthony Bartiromo, Lauren Mondrulli. Thank you guys for doing this with me, and uh, we hope to see you guys soon once again next week. Mm-hmm.